And I think I mentioned this already, but I, I truly believe it's fitting that we're talking about the armor of God on a weekend where we remember those uh, who gave themselves for this country. Um, I, uh, as I've studied the book of Ephesians, I've, I've, I've shared with you how I'm amazed at how you know, Paul starts with the story of God, with the story of our salvation. In Ephesians 2, he tells us that we were dead in our transgressions and sins and that uh, we were without hope, but, but Christ, uh, because of God's great mercy and love for us, Christ came and died for us and gave us new life. And, and so those first three chapters uh, of, of Ephesians are all about the glory of God and the, the majesty of his plan and how he's worked things out for us through Christ. He, he transitions in chapters four and five to the, the story of how we should live in light of those truths. And, and then he, he turns in chapter six to this, this, this warning, this reminder of the fact that everything that we believe about God and everything that we're meant to live out in our belief in God is going to be confronted. It's going to be come against by an adversary. Uh, we know him as the devil, as Satan. He is um, a spiritual power uh, at God's um, uh, will or, or within God's will. He is, he is being allowed to be the prince of the power of the air. Uh, he is the prince of this world. And he comes against us and seeks to thwart our attempts uh, to, to keep us from uh, come, becoming like Christ and following Christ. And so we've uh, spent the last few weeks talking about how God wants to defend us against his enemy and against his schemes. And so we read in verse 13 of Ephesians chapter 6 that we should take up the whole armor of God, not just parts, but all of it, that you and I may be able to withstand in the evil day. And we mentioned this a few weeks ago, but every day has the potential for great evil. Every day is an evil day. And having done all that we can to take up this armor, we'll be able to stand firm. That's, that's the command, the hope that Paul has for us in this unseen war. He goes on and he says in verse 14, he says, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of, the tr of truth. And we talked about how that, the, the truth of God, the truth of, about God, the truth that he's given us, it holds this whole thing together. If we don't have his truth, we don't have the armor. And so we start with the truth. And we, we then put on the breastplate of his righteousness, not our righteousness. Our righteousness, we know from the, uh, the book of Isaiah, is like filthy rags. It's not, it's not good for anything uh, except to make us proud. And, um, but if we, if we remember the righteousness that has been imputed to us by Christ through the gospel, through us knowing that we were created for God uh, and by God and that sin separated us from God and that through Christ we have been reconciled to God, that's our gospel, that's what we hold to be true. It's what shapes everything that we are. And so if you're here this morning uh, and you're just going to church but you're not a Christian, you're incomplete. You've missed out on the point. It's not about attending a service. It's about being a servant. It's not about being in a room. It's about being in a relationship. It's about connecting with our God uh, who we are separated from by our sin. Your sin makes a mess of your life. It keeps you from God. It incurs his wrath. You need a savior. His name is Jesus. And you receive Christ by faith, not by doing a bunch of stuff, but by just believing and accepting and then choosing to follow and submit your life to him. Yeah, we, we put on his righteousness, which comes to us by the gospel we stand in, in the right things that he's called us to do. That's one of our great defenses. If we choose the right, we can't go wrong. 
Then we put on our feet his peace. Remember we talked about that last week. If we're going to stand in this war, we've got to have some good, some good shoes, some cleats to dig in with. And the way that God wants us to dig in is not with ferocity and with might. He wants us to dig in with peace. He wants us to be settled in our convictions and one with him in the fight. He goes on and he says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the fiery arrows or the flaming darts of the evil one. See, Satan's going to constantly bombard us, always does, even is right now. Some of you are like, I don't know if I want to listen today, and you're getting out your phone, and you're starting to play whatever game it is you got on there, which is fine. If you see that person next to you, punch them real quick. Can you do that? But, uh, <laughs> but we have all kinds of distractions, all kinds of things that would keep us from hearing Christ, following Christ, wanting Christ. Uh, those are our adversary schemes. And, and Jesus says, or, or, or Paul says, as inspired by the Spirit, he says, hey, Put up this shield. It is your faith, not in, in yourself or in your abilities. This isn't a war against flesh and blood. It's, it's our faith in the faithfulness of God. Stand behind that. Let the faithfulness of God uh, extinguish the schemes of our adversary. Today we're going to take up two more pieces of armor, and we find them in verse 17 where it says, no, go back, tricked you. He says, take the helmet of salvation and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. How do we stand strong in this unseen war? How do we stand Jesus strong in this unseen war? Two more things to put on. First, we fill our minds with the assurance of our salvation. It says there, verse 17, one more time, take the helmet of salvation. A Roman soldier uh, would not go into war without his headgear. Now, this is a toy that you can buy at KB if it still exists. Is that even still around? I don't even know. Is it dead? All the toy stores are dead. Anyway, all right. Um, but uh, sometime uh, uh, back in the past, we, we secured this, this helmet that is not exactly a Roman helmet. It's more of a medieval knight's helmet, but uh, we'll use it, shall we? The Roman version would be a, like a leather, like a football helmet from back in the early 1900s. Anybody remember those leather helmets? It'd be kind of like that. would have a strap around its chin. And you'd put it on, and it was made of leather, but uh, you'd have actual metal plates that would kind of be in different spots on this leather helmet. One would be across your forehead. There would be these two, like, uh, sideburns that would come down from the helmet and basically uh, protect your cheek and, and uh, around your mouth and nose area. And then there would be this kind of fireman's flap that would come down off the back of your helmet, another piece of metal that would protect your neck. The helmet was not for the arrows. I mean, if you were, you know, so fortunate as to have an arrow bounce off your helmet, good for you. Uh, but the helmet was chiefly for hand-to-hand combat. Uh, when uh, uh, the archers were done, or if there were no archers, you'd, you'd basically uh, smash into each other with your shields, and if the lines broke, well, then everything changed. And it became uh, you, mano y mano, against whoever you're fighting, and we'll get to the sword and talk about how that was used, but this was to combat or deflect, protect uh, against the, the slashing of a sword and the efforts that your enemy would make to take your, literally, take your head off. Uh, we are told that in our battle, 
We are to put on this helmet, and it's called the helmet of salvation. For many uh, years, and then sometimes uh, probably even still today, uh, throughout uh, church history, uh, people have kind of disagreed about what the helmet of salvation is. Lots of people think uh, that the helmet of salvation is kind of a turning point, a pivot in the description of the armor. The, the first four pieces were about our defense, and these next two pieces are about our offense. We're, we're going to take the helmet of salvation, i.e., we're going to take the gospel, and in our defense against the, the, you know, the adversary's ploys, we're, we're just going to share the gospel in its place, and we're going to see people come to Christ, and the church is going to grow. And how many people are in favor of that? Does that sound like our mission? Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm all for that too. Uh, and, and so you, when it comes to the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, we take our gospel, we take God's word, and we go out there on the offensive and we, we share the gospel. Who, one more time, is everybody for that? Are we all together on that? I think that is the mission of the church. I'm just not exactly sure that that's what Paul is writing about here. So while I affirm our mission, absolutely, let me kind of take a different slant on what the helmet of salvation is here, because I believe that Paul is speaking in the context of the spiritual struggle that uh, you know, rages around us and our defense within it. Amen. And so when he says the helmet of salvation, I believe he's talking about us uh, filling our minds with the assurance of our salvation and, and allowing that assurance to make us confident and bold in the battle that we face. I remember getting my first football helmet. I was a seventh grade middle linebacker. Uh, I tried out for the team at my uh, school. That was back before, you know, when uh, schools had like sports at every grade, right? You didn't have to join a club to play a game. Um, and so uh, I joined my middle school football team, seventh grade. And I remember I got, they had just bought new helmets. They used to have the old ones from the 70s that had just like one bar coming across, right? Because the junior hires always got over the, the high schoolers didn't want. Uh, but the, for whatever reason, someone got a grant, and so we got these brand new helmets, and I had this really cool face mask, and and had all the padding inside, and I was so excited to get my uniform. I didn't take it off. I came home from practice. I, I ate in it. I slept in it, right? I woke up the next day. It was Saturday. I wore it all around my house all day, and I put my helmet on, and I just walked around my house. My mom's like, 12-year-old Mark, what are you doing? You're crazy. What are you doing? I was like, no, Mom, it's the best thing. I, just, I, I feel... I feel invincible. And I would walk around my house and I would bash my head against walls and sisters, right? <clears throat> whatever was in my path, I would just take my head and just headbutt whatever I could. Because, and if some of the guys know exactly what I'm talking about. You get protective gear on, you're like, we'll see how this works. We'll see how protective this protective gear is. And I was amazed. I could just, I could get in like a full run in and hit the wall of my garage and get up and be just fine. I'm like, this is gonna be great. I love football. Our salvation should give us the same kind of confidence that as we face whatever we face, uh, the confidence that we have in the, in the gift of our salvation and what Christ has given us through our faith in his gospel, it's made us invincible. Not unwisely invincible, I'm not saying to test God or anything like that, but I'm saying that whatever we face, no, however, no matter how long we have to face it, in the end, because we are in Christ, we win. We're victors because he's victorious. See, our salvation is just confidence building uh, past, present, and future. Our salvation in the past, we call that our justification. If you're a Christian here, it's because someday, one day, uh, you decided after hearing the word of God to have faith in the word of God and you put your, 
your trust in, not yourself or your own works, but in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, and you were justified, it tells us in Romans, by faith. And you were brought into relationship with Christ. And we see that as an event that happened once in the past, and it sticks or stays with you throughout your existence. The Bible tells us in John chapter 10 that those who are the sheep, the good shepherd is Jesus, those who are his sheep, they know his voice, they follow him, they, they, they trust him, and no one can pluck those sheep from the hand of the shepherd. We're in. We're in. Now, some of you are like, great, uh, but I, I was talking with someone at lunch the other day. Some of you might not be in yet. Be careful not to think you're Christian just because you're hanging out. If you are truly following Christ, then you have given your heart to him. You're not just religious. You're not just informed. You are surrendered. And you follow him. There's more on that. But I want to make sure you understand that. But those of us who have, and I trust most of us have, and those of us who haven't, we will, when we have put our faith in Jesus Christ... We have been justified. And we've put on this helmet, this confidence that we are with him and we will never be forsaken by him. I am free, period, in Christ. Now the great thing is that it doesn't just stop there. We go on with Christ and we enter into this period of our salvation called sanctification. We're justified and now we're being sanctified. If justification is I am free, or sanctification is I am being freed. Did you know that Jesus wants to save you today? Some of you are like, no, Mark, that happened when I was five. I was with my mom, we were praying, and that's what, no, no, I get that. That's when you were justified, but he wants to save you today as he sanctifies you and makes him, or makes you more like him and less like you. He wants to deliver you from yourself. He wants to deliver you from the things that hold you back in your life and your follow of him. He wants to save you and rescue you and does so in this process that we call sanctification. A lot of times he allows the spiritual battles that we face to rage in our lives for that very purpose, to make us more like him. Sanctification is kind of like a crucible like you had in science class in junior high, right? You put a bunch of stuff in there and you subject it to heat and then something else comes out. So you think of your trials as a crucible where God is burning off the parts of you that don't need to stay and he's leaving in their place himself. Our salvation is our justification, our sanctification, and it will terminate in a blessed glorification. We were saved, I am free, I'm being saved, I'm being freed, and one day I will be saved forevermore from the sins of my flesh, and I will be free forevermore, standing face to face with the one who saved me. I talk to people about that, and they're like, man, well, I want to get this in. I want to see my kids get married. I want to go, you know, and do all these different things. I'm like, whoa, 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 you don't get it. Nothing that we experience here on earth is going to begin to compare to what we'll have when we are in the presence of our Savior forever. Amen. Yeah, I mean, I'm fine if we go today. I don't know about you, but it's hot outside. Let's just go home, right? <laughs> I won't have to cut the grass tomorrow. There's other reasons to want to be glorified, but glorify, man, listen, all three of those, our justification, our sanctification, our glorification, that's our salvation. And in those things, we are assured and we have hope. 
It's like that song I sang growing up, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. We call that an all skate left song, right? It's one of those like songs you'd skate to. <laughs> Never really paid attention to the world, well, the words when I was singing them, I just knew them. Just oom pa pa, oom pa pa, right? But as I reflect on them now, I'm so grateful for the blessed assurance that my salvation brings. Paul alludes uh, to the soldier's helmet as this representation of this, this assurance that salvation brings. And he, he, I think he does so very pointedly because he knows, what, what, what's the helmet protect? Your head. What lives in your head? Your brain, your thoughts. It's the home, the center uh, of, of, of your thinking. And, and Paul, in naming the, the helmet, this helmet of salvation, he, he's alluding to the fact, the truth, that the spiritual war is fought between our temples. Like if we're not thinking right, we're not gonna care about truth and the belt goes off. If we're not thinking right, we're not gonna understand or appreciate the righteousness that has been imputed to us by Christ and that's coming off. If we're not thinking right, we're all freaked out and fearful and the peace that we're supposed to have that holds our feet in the ground, it's gonna go away. If we're not thinking right, then faith goes away because faith is born of our hearts and our minds. That's why Paul is constantly in his writing inspired by the Spirit to say things like this, like he did to the Philippians. He says, finally, brothers, whatever's true and honorable, whatever is just and pure, whatever is lovely and commendable, if anything's excellent or if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Fill your minds with the grace of God, the goodness of God, the truth of God, so that when the flare-ups come, when the enemy lies, you have focus, the right thoughts to combat the wrong thoughts with. What's on our minds and in our minds determines our success in Christ in the unseen war. Paul wrote about this as he wrote to the Corinthians. He says this in uh, chapter 10 of the second letter he wrote to them. He says, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. It's a spiritual battle. He says, um, uh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. He was talking about false teachers, those who were coming against him in Corinth. He's saying, listen, man, I'm not gonna fight you with uh, my own fists or with my own wits. Uh, we're gonna allow the Holy Spirit, Christ himself, to fight on our behalf. He says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Anything that would come against whatever's right and pure and lovely and commendable, we come against that. And we put that out of our minds. We come against any falsehoods and seek to destroy anything that would threaten the knowledge of God. And then, I've quoted this verse most of my life. I, I know I've read it in its context before, but I, I understand it better having studied it this week. And he says, in the context of this spiritual battle that rages there in Corinth, he says, we come against every lofty opinion and anything that is raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought Captive. Who's ever gotten that one as advice? Hey, listen, I know, I, know, I know you're going through this and you're freaking out and you're terrified, but you've got to take every thought captive. That's what the Bible says. This is where it says it. It's in the context of the unseen war. We take every thought captive. For what purpose? To obey Christ. I'm going to control 
by Christ and by his strength, I'm going to control what I think so that in thinking the right things, I can choose the right things and obey him in this war that I find myself in. I don't know about you, but it's amazing to me at how, <laughs> how easy it is for my mind to go from one thing to another, like in an instant, right? Like I can smell something, you know, in a, in a, in a bakery, and all of a sudden I'm transported back to when I was eight years old and I had my first red velvet cake. Oh, right? And my brain just goes there, and my body's here, but I'm, you know, 40 years back, and I'm salivating now based on that memory because my brain's taken me there. I can't tell you how many church services I sat in, you know, before I truly became a follower of Jesus Christ and didn't hear a word that the guy said on the stage. Maybe that's you right now. Because you could sit and just stare at me and be like. (laughs) And be a million miles away on another planet. Because I can't see what's going on in your screen. It's because our, our brains are amazing, more powerful than any supercomputer. They can compute thoughts and and impulses faster than you and I can even say them. And our adversary knows the power of our brains. And so where no one else can see what's on our screen, he comes in and he tries to influence what's going through our minds. And he'll do it at the weirdest times. I sat over here singing those songs as we sang together uh, early in the service, and I was just trying to pray and concentrate And he knows I'm going to preach to you, so he wants to distract me even as I'm praying. I sat in here yesterday in my office, and I knelt before the chair uh, uh, that I kneel before when I pray, and I I was praying the armor on, like literally going piece by piece, belt the truth, right? Uh, You know, breastplate of righteousness, I'm praying all those things on. And I, I get through the armor, and you know what the message from our adversary was as I'm praying? You don't believe this stuff. You don't believe that. What kind of hocus pocus mamma jamma is this stuff? You're praying armor on, really? You know what I've taken to doing is that as those impulses come in, as those thoughts arrive, courtesy of our adversary, I do, the, I do this. Does anybody do the twitch? If you ever see me doing this, it's not Tourette's or anything like that. I'm just, <laughs> I'm trying to bounce thoughts out of my brain. I'm literally trying to get something that's in my head out because whatever's coming in is false and I'm with Paul. I want to take captive every thought so that I might obey Christ. Hmm. I can't stop talking about salvation before I mention this. Paul writes about the war in one other place, uh, probably others, but here in First Philipp- or First Thessalonians chapter five, he says, "But since we belong to the day, since we belong to that day of our glorification, when we will be with Christ, he says, let us be sober, let us be focused. It's not just don't be drunk. It's that whole let your minds be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let your focus be right. Having put on, and then he talks about the breastplate. He changes it though. It's not the righteousness now. It's the breastplate of faith and love." And then he talks about the helmet of salvation that he mentions in Ephesians. And he says, and put on the helmet of the what? Of the hope of salvation. See, when I think of salvation, and I've already alluded to it, I I think of hope. I think of not kind of a, man, I, I, I hope this happens today. I hope it doesn't rain. I hope my lottery numbers come through because we've all spent that a couple times in our dreams, Right? I'm not talking about this, I don't know if it's going to happen, Hope. I'm talking about this assured, locked hope. I know who holds the future. 
I know who has gone before me into my future and who holds me in his hands. I know those things. And so when I stand in the battle, no matter how much it rages and no matter how bleak or how fearful or how doubtful I feel, I know that somehow on the other side of this, as I get through the pain and the agony of whatever I'm facing, as I, as I wait patiently for God to act on behalf of, of his servant and, of, on, on, and in the, the, the instances that I'm praying for, I know that regardless of how these circumstances hold out, work out, figure out, I know that Jesus is victorious. And that is what I hold on to. When I was a kid, uh, I, I used to play card games, little three-card gut poker games on the school bus as we would drive to basketball uh, tournaments and stuff like that in high school. And we used to play this one game where we would play, you know, play for money. Sorry. And, uh, uh, and, and we would put a card on our foreheads, okay? Uh, and, and we would basically just be able to see everybody else's card on their forehead, and you would basically bet that your card was higher. King was high, ace was low, whoever had the king would win the money. And it was basically a bluffing game, and everybody would just try to bluff each other off of their cards and, and, and just win the pot. One time we were playing uh, in a dark school bus on the way back from a game, and we put our cards on our foreheads, and the lights in the bus were reflecting off of my friend's glasses. <laughs> and so I could see my card. It was awesome. Because <laughs> I knew I had the king. And so I looked around at all these other cards, and all these other guys on my team were betting into this pot. And I was like, yeah, sure, I'll call that. Oh, sure, I'll call that. Why? I knew the outcome. I knew who was going to win this pot. This guy. <laughs> and for all the guys who were playing that day, if you're watching online, I apologize. <laughs> I totally cheated you out of your quarters. But see, when we're in this game, this high stakes game with our adversary, we don't have to worry how this is going to turn out. We've already seen the card. His name is Jesus, and he is our victory because he has given us our salvation, justified, sanctified, glorified, it is assured. Amen. So let's put on this hope, this helmet. Let's refuse, in the words of the great theologian Flava Flav, <laughs> don't believe the hype. <laughs> don't believe the hype. Sorry. That wasn't meant to be that, but uh, that's all our adversary has. All he's got is hype. He hasn't got any truth. He's devoid of it. He just, he, he alters and twists and, and takes whatever God means for good and uses it for evil. And so he comes to you with a bunch of bloated, air-filled nothing and tries to convince you to doubt and to fear and to crumble in the unseen war. But when you hear those messages, just get them out. Don't believe the hype. Do believe the hope. The hope that you and I have in Christ is sure. It's what allows Paul to write these kinds of things. I am, say it with me, sure. I'm sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion, even up until the day that Jesus comes back. Now, the second piece of armor that we need to talk about today 
is the sword. And I want to leave you with this. Arm yourself with the word of God. It says in verse 17, take the helmet of salvation and take the sword of the spirit, which is, and this is great because he, he doesn't leave us to like try to figure out the metaphor. He just tells us it's the word of God. It's the rhema theos. It's the word of God. The sword he's talking about isn't the big, long, broad sword that they used in Braveheart or anything like that. It was more like this 18-inch um, kind of machete-looking sword. It was two-edged, and, uh, and it would live on, in the sheath on the soldier's belt until uh, it came time for the hand-to-hand combat part of the war. There'd usually be the archers, there'd be the shields, there'd be the, 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 the poking and the stabbing with uh, 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 spears or pikes. But then once the, the shield lines would break down, then it was just every man for himself, and guys would just haul these suckers out, and it was just, I hope I'm a better swordsman than you. Because you would use this not only to, to wound and to debilitate your opponent, you would use this to protect yourself from them. We've all seen the movies. You know, uh, uh, I grew up watching D- uh, Daffy Duck, you know, duck, dodge, parry. You know, it was just, uh, uh, there's ways that you can protect yourself. You gotta be a certain age, right, Ricky? You know what I'm talking about. But there's ways that you can protect yourself even as you use this as an offensive weapon. It's a defensive weapon. The Machaira is the name of this sword. We know that it's, Uh, the word of God, and through the word, we have been given uh, our very salvation. We are in Christ because of our faith in the word. It says in Romans chapter 10, so faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the what? Through the word, through the word of Christ. We also know that the the word, the sword, as Paul refers to it, it, it cuts through the nonsense of life. It tells us in Hebrews chapter four uh, that the word of God is living and active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's piercing to the division of soul and of spirit and of joints and of marrow. And, and these are the biggest, and it's discerning of thoughts and discerning of intentions in our hearts. It cuts through all the nonsense and it says, okay, here's how it's supposed to be. How is it with you? The word of God clearly gives us how it's supposed to be. Now, how is it with you? The the word's like a a mirror that you can see yourself in. And and in the mirror is the image of how you're supposed to be, but around the mirror or around that image is is how you are. And and you can kind of see, oh, that's not in line with God's word. That's not in line with God's word. My intentions there are wrong. My, My thoughts there are incorrect. I need to align with God's word, you know, uh, we live in a, a glorious age where if we have a, a, a discussion about something and, and we're remembering different things about a discussion, you know, whether it's a band that we want to go see or, or uh, some lyrics from a song that we grew up singing or, or who won the, uh, the World Series in 1979, which was a question that was posed to me earlier today, um, we can actually go online now, whether on our phones or our computers, and Google it, right? And Google is the great... Uh, nonsense cut through her. That doesn't make sense at all. It settles arguments because you could go to some empirical data and be like, see, that's the, that's the lyrics to Rosanna. That's, what, that's how you're supposed to sing it, right there. Or the Pirates won the World Series in 1979. You know, We Are Family, Willie Stargell. Before there was Google, there was the Bible. Before there was even the Bible, there was God's word. His word even precedes our written page. And throughout human history, the word has been our source for God's truth, and it cuts through whatever silliness we've convinced ourselves of if we'll allow it to. Now, it goes beyond just being this, like, 
discerner and divider of truth. It's meant to be for us so many other things. It's meant to be our delight. Some of the first verses I ever memorized as a young Christian were for, uh, Psalms one and, uh, verses 1 and 2. I memorized the whole thing, but I know 1 and 2 really well. Because it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. Now, I don't know that I always understood what delight meant as I quoted that verse as a young boy. But I think I get it now. My greatest joy is in the truth of God's word. It's meant to be. And if, if I'm worried about life or how to handle life or what's going on in life, I can go to God's word and find my delight in the truth that lives there. So it's my delight. But it's more than that, it's, it's my light. Here's a familiar verse, read it with me. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Who's heard that one? David wrote that in the longest chapter, or the longest psalm uh, in the book of Psalms as he talked over and over again, walking through the Hebrew alphabet, uh, giving God praise for his word and his statutes and his laws. But here, uh, 105 verses into his song, uh, he pops this one on us and he tells us that God's word is like a lamp. And I've told you this before, but hear it again. We're not talking mag lights. We're not even talking like the, the light on your phone, which is what the flashlight for everybody is now. Uh, we're talking about a lamp, a flickering oil-fueled light at the end of a teapot, like Aladdin's lamp. And if you, if you needed to go somewhere in the dark in, in Israel... Uh, you would take your lamp and it would flicker enough just for you to see the next step on your path. Amen. That's why it's called a lamp for your feet. That's where you'd hold it, right down here. And so God's word is likened to this lamp. Not this bright, shining mag light that shines off into your future and tells you exactly how things are going to turn out. Sorry, God knows you don't. It's not even this, this you know, dimmer version that kind of tells you how the day is going to end. Nobody here knows how this day is going to end. I pray it goes well. I pray you enjoy your lunch. I pray you make it to your lunch. But does anybody here have lunch guaranteed? No, all we've got is that next step. And God's word gives us the truth to know how to handle next steps. He's our... His word is our light. His word is our delight. His word is our hope. It says in Romans that for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, you and I might have hope. Can I give you some challenges as it pertains to the word of God? First one's this, read it. Read it. Don't raise your hands. Nobody put your hand in the air. But how many of you have your Bibles here this morning? No, just, I want you to be able to look down the aisles and see who doesn't. Not really. But here's, here's what's happening in our culture. We let everybody read the word for us, read the word to us. And we never take the time to read it for ourselves. Would you please discipline yourself to read God's word? Some of you might say, oh, I don't have time, or I don't understand parts of it, Leviticus, woo, Right? But here's what I'll tell you. If you pray and you ask God to reveal his word, I trust that the reading of God's word will not come back void, that he will show you himself as you discipline yourself to find him in his word. Read it. 
Read it. Five chapters a day, once a day, every day, you're through the Bible in a year. Meditate on it. Meditate on his word. Don't just read it so you can hurry up and get this done. He told me I got to do five chapters. Right? No, soak. Soak in it. The, the truths of God's word are, are profound. Let them settle in your heart and in your mind. Memorize it. It says uh, in Psalms, another part of 119 there, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I don't think he's talking about, you know, like stacking verses in there. I think he's talking about, I have memorized, I have put to memory your word. It's stored in my heart so that when the time comes for me to use it, I can pop it out. And I don't know what you got sitting around in your brain, but I got, about a, I got so much useless stuff up here. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I would love to displace some of the useless 80s lyrics uh, that I have, you know, hidden in my heart with the, the word of hope and truth that comes from God's scriptures. Are you with me? Like, I don't think Jesse's girl is going to help me in a pinch. But I can quote that whole thing. But I know, just as Jesus, when he was faced by his adversary and the, and the temptations that, that he walked through in Matthew chapter 4, he just quoted scripture after scripture after scripture, and it was his defense. Amen. Handle it correctly. It says in 2 Timothy that we should do our best to present ourselves to God as, as a, an approved worker, as a worker who has no need to be ashamed. How do we know what's, a, what's the qualifications of an unashamed worker? We rightly handle the word of God. We've read it, we've meditated on it, we've memorized it, and now when it comes to implementing it or when it comes to admonishing others in it, we don't mess it up. <laughs> we don't give the gospel of Mark. We give the gospel of the word of God. We give the truth that he's revealed to us there. And then finally, so we can sing and go home, can we just do it? Can we just do what the word says? I get tired of listening to people's excuses about why they don't have to do what God said. I'm different, I'm special. I can leave my marriage, I can do whatever I want because I say so. <laughs> God will not be mocked. If you sow from your flesh, you will reap corruption and destruction and death. But if you sow from the Spirit, you will reap eternal life. That is the truth. Don't think that God's going to let you make up your own version of what's true and be fine with it. He's not. Read the Word, heed the Word. Do what it says. James tells us that. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. He goes on, many of you have memorized that one, but here's what he says later in that same chapter. He says, the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres. The one who knows the word, sees the word, chooses the word, and even when it's hard, keeps doing the word. Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Are you a hearer who forgets, or are you a doer who acts? There's no middle He will bless those of us who hear and do.
Aren't you grateful for the armor? Yeah. Life's hard. It's going to stay hard. But God does not leave us alone in the hard. He defends us. He gives us his son. He gives us the strength and the power of our Savior. And he enables us to stand in our battles. I I was listening to Christian radio the other day. I heard this song. We're going to sing it. It's just a simple refrain. It says, this is how I fight my battles. It's referring to the armor. This is how I fight my battles. It may seem or feel that I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. This is our confidence. Would you stand with us as we sing? This is how I fight my battles. 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 place and you enter your world and the struggles that await you there, sing that song. This is how I fight my battles, not by flesh and blood, but by the power of my Savior, Jesus Christ. It may feel and look like I'm surrounded, but I know that my God is with me. He will never leave me or forsake me. He is able to do for me what I could never do for myself. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So I will stand firm, trusting in him for as long as it takes in whatever life brings. Let me pray that over you now. Hey, God, thanks so much for the assurance of our salvation. Thanks so much for the truth of your word. Help us to take on both. And as we walk through whatever we're facing in life, uh, may you be our strength. you sanctify us and purify us and make us more like you, may you be our strength. As we await the day when we'll see you face to face, may you be our strength. Thank you for loving us, for your mercy and grace to us, for saving us. May you be our strength. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great day.